The Relationship Road Trip, a podcast about navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your host and backseat driver. If you take your next left, we'll get there faster. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. And you listeners are the drivers. Kick those tires and let's hit the road. Before we get started, let me read you a quote of the day. The heart is resilient and forgiving. It is the mind that causes us stress. Find peace in what you cannot change by Alexandra L. It's a little daunting to think about all the relationships we navigate in life. Sibling, child, parent, spouse, friend, boss, coworker, direct report. The list just seems to go on forever. Over the course of this podcast, we will be exploring each of the types of relationships and the particular skills you need to keep them healthy. Today, we're going to take a high-level look at types of relationships. Don, how would you categorize relationships? Well, the relationships in your life can fall into two big buckets. Blood relationships, these are the ones that we're related to, you know, our parents, our siblings, our kids, uh, aunts and uncles, cousins, half-cousins, quarter-cousins, cousins twice removed, all those folks. And then our choice relationships. These are our friends, our spouse often. These are the people that we want to hang out with. Some of those are forced choices. Um, Bosses at work, we might choose the work or we might choose the company, but we don't actually get to choose the boss often. Sometimes we don't get to choose our direct reports or our coworkers, but sometimes we do. How do we figure out those choice points and how those relationships work in our life? The two really are differentiated by genetic relationships versus environmentally based relationships. So that's a way of thinking about those two major groups of relationships in our lives. So what about me where my blood relationship is also my chosen boss relationship? (laughs) Well, so you actually point out a great point. Blood relationships only begin a relationship. My genetic connection to you only gives an opportunity for me to be involved in your life. If I don't do that well, I lose my right to be your father. On the flip side, if I've done this well, you might choose to have lots of different relationships with me that include having me as your boss. I guess you get to keep your father and boss card for now. There you go. We'll check in later. Let's see how well I play the hand. Let's talk some more about blood relationships. Fair enough. That's where I was going to head out. (laughs) Uh, So blood relationships are, like Don said, the ones that you're kind of dealt with your DNA. These are the family members that you may or may not want to see every year at Christmas. It's interesting as far as how that all goes and plays out. You can be related by blood, related by DNA to a fair number of people and not necessarily want to choose them every day. So, you know, Don and Ben, obviously I choose to hang out with them and they get to keep their respective family cards in this place. But there are other members of families that maybe not necessarily someone that I would choose to hang out to on a regular basis. So that is one dynamic within blood relationships because they get messy with that concept of, I am related to this person. Am I obligated to spend time with them? Am I obligated to love them? Uh, And all of those dynamics within relationships and closeness. 
How does a relationship like a, like a step-parent or a half-sibling play into the, I mean, you talked about just these two buckets, blood and choice. Is a step-parent, that's not really a choice relationship. It's not really a blood relationship. Is there a third bucket? How does that, how does that work? Well, so it would be nice if the buckets were really clean and it was easy to fit into one or the other. Is there a hole in the bucket? There are holes in the bucket. There are, there are holes in the bucket and they flood out in lots of different directions. But uh, like, a, let's take a step parent, for example. Don't you mean a bonus parent? I was going to get there. Beat you to it. We'll talk about what the difference is between a step parent and a bonus parent. The traditional language, though, is step parent. So I'm a kid. My mother, who is divorced or widowed from or never married uh, to my biological father, chooses a new partner in the world. When she chooses that new partner, hopefully I'm part of that process and I get to choose them too and they choose me. That's the optimal. I mean, you've seen that there are cute commercials where the guy proposes first to the kid you know, and that kind of thing. And that's true. If you have children and you're entering into a person's life who has children, you get a whole package and the choice has to be mutual all the way around when it's healthy. So that's the most healthy relationship that you could have. When it's not, there's a title that's out there, step-parent, but I may not have a relationship with you that way. That creates a lot of my work where there's huge tension between a step-parent that's come in who doesn't know how to relate to a child, putting a great deal of pressure on the biological parent who feels they have to be the mediator between, in this particular case, two warring people or two people who are just in an ice battle, uh, not talking to one another, not interacting, making the house difficult. So there are overlaps. This can happen also with biological parents. I, I get this too, where... A kid has two biological parents but doesn't feel accepted by them. Um, they may be different. Uh, they may be not typically gender-based. They may not be typically uh, neurologically based. They may be developing differently. And they get rejected by one or both parents. These kids often create choice parents in the world. They'll find people who will become mentors or guides or stand-ins for those biological parents. Is that where the term bonus parent comes from? It can. Uh, that's one way of having a bonus parent. When you have a healthy step-parent situation, that person can be a bonus parent. And you can have bonus siblings, an extra brother or sister or six. Why does the term step-parent have a negative connotation, it seems? So that has a lot to do with how culture has developed it. Recognize that the concept of a step-parent is relatively new probably 50s, 1950s forward. Before that, probably not in the literature very much. I'd actually have to go look up when the word uh, came into common parlance. But up until the 50s, divorce was very unusual. A uh, very small number of people got divorced. You may be widowed and have uh, a step-parent that way, and that was probably the primary way that you, you had uh, an additional parent in your house. But the expectation of children and parents and how they related to one another diminished um, the effects of all of that. There were a lot of expectations of power and power imbalance between children and, and parents. That's changed over the years. 
And also think about the way that stories have created this. So you've got the evil stepmother, the wicked stepmother, thinking of Cinderella. And all the rest of them, yeah. Fair. Uh, And evil stepsisters and just kind of that, again, power dynamic of this is a person that maybe the biological parent chose uh, and it causes a strife in the family. So the the concept of bonus parent actually comes from the Nordic countries. Uh, they've been looking at the mental health effects and how, how do we blend families better. And the idea of putting more positive language around it uh, is what led to the idea of having a bonus. That this is a treat that you get instead of something that is imposed upon you. And that's actually the healthiest way um, to have a choice relationship enter into a blood relationship. Sure. Like you talked about, the ideal situation is that everyone involved and, and related to this relationship would have input at some level. I assume that, you know, the main choice relationship there would have most of the say, but... Yes, the adults would have most of the say. The idea, though, being if you're going to choose somebody who has kids, you need to figure out how you are going to relate to those kids. Well, what about when the kids are adult children? Still the same. Right. Because yes, they, the same that they need to relate, but does it change the balance of of choice there? Yes, it does. If the children are adults and they're living outside of the home and there's not day to day contact, right? It of course changes. It's going to be a different relationship. Yes, and it has to be comfortable enough that the yeah. kids can return to their biological parent if they so choose uh, and feel warm and welcome and connected. Cool. I looked up the etymology of step family. On Wikipedia. And what'd you find? Uh, The earliest recorded use of the prefix step is from an 8th century glossary of Latin Old English words, and it meant orphan. And then, so it's actually quite old, but, and it does, uh, it says, the words are used to denote a connection resulting from the remarriage of a widowed parent. So that's accurate, but it's related to a different Latin word that means bereaved. Hmm. So kind of a negative connotation from the get-go. From, from the get-go, right. um, And so it's basically like a synonym for orphan that generally was related to the word bereaved, but it did apply to the same situation. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's pretty interesting. It's been around for a long time. Although I agree with you, I think in modern times, it's more of, you know, maybe 50s on mm-hmm. in terms of the types of relationships we're talking about here. Yes. I have another curiosity to pose as far as blood relationships and kind of that nuclear family who's in the home on a day-to-day basis of what about adopted kids and foster kids and how that plays into maybe there's a biological child at home and then there's a child who has been adopted. So that would fall into the bucket of choice. We chose this child. You know, I love you too. I didn't choose you. I chose to have children and I was given you, which is awesome. I love that. But I I didn't get to design you. (laughs) Well, and the curiosity comes from the adopted child did not choose you necessarily. No, the, the adopted child may have been in need. So sometimes adopted kids do choose. So the older the child is, the more of a role they have in connecting Um, and being an okay fit. And they have a voice to some degree. Children who are adopted at birth or near birth, uh, certainly pre-verbal, don't. So how does that work? If the parent chooses, right, and they get this kid, 
They've been given a card just like a birth parent is given a card. The card doesn't last forever. You have to engage in the behaviors that demonstrate you are a safe, secure, connected person in their life in order to maintain all of the privileges that go along with father or mother. It's not enough that I have genetic material that sit with you two. I had to engage in the behaviors that built the trust and the relationship with you in order to maintain my role as father. I might get to keep the title, but I don't get to keep the meat of that without engaging in the behavior. So this sort of answers our next question, which is how do these types of relationships relate to one another? You're saying that the role of father is a blood relationship with, in this case, us, your children, but it it is also a choice relationship. You have to, well, you have to choose to be a father. Right. And we have to choose to accept you as our father, which sort of blends your two buckets together into one big happy mess. So, (laughs) I mean, my next question is, are there really two buckets even? I guess there are still, of course a choice relationship you would make, the spouse, which we're going to talk about next episode. The boss is a good example of an interesting choice. Like you said, you choose where to work, maybe, and then you don't necessarily have control over who your boss is or even your coworkers. What about my friends? Right. And you still, you choose friends. Sure. So there are definitely these more isolated examples of a choice relationship, but especially when it comes to your family, which as it is different than your friends even if it is a family of people you've chosen that are not blood-related, it kind of really muddies the waters there. It's all kind of together. This sense of family isn't necessarily blood or choice. It can kind of be both. Although I would would ask our listeners and, and the two of you to think about, as your father, I have had access to you in a way that no other people can have. That sounds really creepy. Uh, only to you, because you think in creepy ways. <laughs> I do. Sorry, y'all. But think about it. You get to live in my home. You eat the food that I prepare. You see the things the way we decorate. Mama and I decorate the home, the kinds of clothing that we buy for you. We've influenced a lot of your cultural expectations in the world in a way that many other people cannot, because they don't have that access to you. That's part of the role of father and mother. We enculturate our children into the world. And we bring with that, you have experienced things that come from the German culture, you things from the Brazilian culture, um, which is our heritage, uh, probably a little bit more from the Brazilian culture, because I'm a little bit more, more, I'm a little bit more heritage like, but that is a, that's a a level of connection that you can't have even with a mentor. I, I have been, um, Father surrogate is too hard, but I don't have good language for it. Um, mentor, um, mentor is a good word. Sure. To some of your all's friends. They've come to me, asked questions. A bonus I, parent, perhaps. A bonus parent. Yeah. And I wasn't even thinking I rose to that level. But sure. maybe I did. They would have to tell me if I rose to that level. Sure. But a trusted adult in their life, um, that was an important choice that supplemented the parents that they had. That's pretty awesome, but that's not father. Right. You mentioned during that expectations. Mm-hmm. How, how do expectations play into the types of relationships? Do we have great expectations? I have no expectations. Right. I come as a blank slate. It could be a tale to of To learn cities. and to grow. Thank you. No. 
<laughs> going down a literary pun. So expectations that play into types of relationships. There's expectations around everything. If you look at it in a way of how you want to interact with the world and how you want the world to interact with you. Can you actually define expectations for me? What do we mean by that when we say, you know, how does an expectation play into a relationship? What is an example of an expectation? That's an excellent question. Can can I jump in? So uh, an expectation could be, I will take your call. So Ben, if you call me, you have an expectation because of the relationship we have and the history we have that I'm not just going to ignore your call. I'll take the call. I will respond to the call quickly if I can't take it immediately. Those are expectations you have. As a matter of fact, I believe you might become alarmed. That's an expectation I have of you. If I didn't return your call, you might go seeking, hey, what, what happened to Papa? Because he usually returns my phone calls. That's an, a level of expectation based on the history and the nature of our relationship. So I guess a a broader definition of that would be the response to a behavior. So an expectation that we have is what we believe or know will happen as a response to a behavior that we engage in. Okay, that makes sense. And that, I mean, that sort of answers the question because it would help define the relationship. A series of expectations would influence those actions back and forth, which Mm -hmm. is what makes up that relationship. Yep. I answered the question myself. Good job, Ben. Backseat driver. We got there. We We did. That left turn. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So are there any other buckets of relationships that we should know about? Is it just those two, choice and blood? Um, And then the muddy, muddy water as they both come spilling into each other? As they blend. So, you know, I've thought about this for a long time, and there there are subcategories within each bucket, and there are blended categories across the two buckets. I don't think that there's a third bucket, although all the drivers out there may have another opinion. And I'd love it if you wrote in with what your ideas are about other major buckets for how relationships work. Is there a situation you've experienced where you have not chosen a relationship and it is not a person who is related to you by blood, but you have been forced into a relationship, which I assume would be a negative situation to be in. Employment. Well, and we talked a little bit about that, that, you know, you don't necessarily choose your boss, but I'm just, I mean, I guess maybe, well, I mean, so a child would have relationships with the teachers and you don't get to choose those teachers. That would be a whole series of relationships during your developmental years where you have positive and negative non-choice, non-blood relationships. Yes. So would that be a category or would that fall into choice? Falls into choice. But it's not the person's choice. It would at best be the parent's choice of school and then the school's choice of teachers. So I don't, I would argue that's not choice for the child anyway. If we're talking about the individual and their relationships, they have no control or choice over those relationships. So a situationship. They, a situationship. That's a good new word. I like that. Oh, come on. That's been around for quite a while. Um, situationship? Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, if you go in, again, school seems to be a pretty good example of that. Um, I think the first time I heard the term situationship was in college with the random pot 
dorm assignment. Sure, you decided to go to college, but maybe just the way that the uh, housing situation is set up, you are assigned a dorm mate. And this is <laughs> a, a roommate. <laughs> Thank you. I couldn't come up I mean, with that. I mean, dormmate is fine. Flatmate, roommate, whatever you want to call them. But it, it's a situationship. This is something that, yes, I decided to go to college, but I sure as heck didn't pick that roommate. Right. And, and for my categorization, just to defend it a little, that would be in the choice bucket. I made this choice and it had this ancillary effect. Mm. So I guess situationship is a subcategory. Right. That's fair. I With the college one, I'm more okay with that only because for the most part, the individual, again, coming back to, you know, this individual and their relationships has made that choice that then has this sub effect. Yep. That makes sense to me. For the child in, say, middle school, I still argue that like, yeah, it is a situationship by that definition, but they had no choice. They didn't choose the middle school. They're not choosing the teachers. So I don't know, but but it's still I could still see it as a subcategory. I don't think it needs its own bucket. It's just interesting to think about because it's a very different dynamic than the worker boss situation. It's obviously very different than blood relationships and your your friends and main choice relationships. Um, and even I would say a little different than the roommate situation. Sure, because children have less power in the world and often less voice in the things they get stuck into. And this is where their relationship with the parent becomes important. And if the parent listens to the kid's struggle and helps them through whatever that situation is, moving them from to another school, different classroom, or addressing it with the teacher so that the teacher backs down. Well, and we're sort of talking about negative teacher experiences now. It should be said that many, many, many teacher relationships are life-changing and world-altering for children. Yes. You know, Shout out to Miss Mosley. <laughs> well, and I mean, our mother is a teacher. That is true. Your wife is a teacher. She is. And and that's an incredibly important and powerful role. And that's perhaps why it's so powerful is that that range of of human, that age range, they don't have that choice. Right. They are put into this situation and you have this incredible ability to influence their life in hopefully positive ways. I kind of want to argue for a third bucket if we're going to get meta about this, but your relationship with yourself, which is both blood and choice. Combo of the two. Remember right. I said that? <laughs> I, I know. I know. But it's, it's hard not to be blood related to yourself. I, that's true. It's also hard to choose not to be related to yourself. That's true. <laughs> You're really stuck with this one. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it's a it's a different type of relationship that you would have with the external world. And maybe it's a very, very little bucket floating in the murky waters between blood and self, but I do think it is kind of its own category. And it's an important bucket. And, yes. So, so let me let me talk about that just a little bit, because uh, that was a great segue. So um, I've read a lot of philosophy and a what? lot of science. You read things? I, you know, I actually can read. Whoa. Isn't that amazing? I'm shook. I used, right. I used to read to you all all the time. You just thought I was making up the stories, though. Very true. I want to share with you um, a passage from the Tao Te Ching. Uh, uh, you Dao. gave him the opening for his big quote. I How could did. you? I've I thought we sk- were conspiring to prevent this. Whoopsies. All right, all right, all right. Let's go. 
So uh, the Tao Te Ching is a wonderful book written thousands of years ago. It's attributed to a man named Lao Tzu, although it is considered that this is really a gathering of wisdom from several different teachers of that time. Uh, John Heider did a translation of it specifically focusing on leadership, and it's called the Tao of Leadership. In it, one of the chapters is called The Ripple Effect. And now I will quote from John Heider. Do you want to be a positive influence in the world? First, get your own life in order. Ground yourself in the single principle so that your behavior is wholesome and effective. If you do that, you will earn respect and be a powerful influence. Your behavior influences others through a ripple effect. A ripple effect works because everyone influences everyone else. Powerful people are powerful influences. If your life works, you influence your family. If your family works, your family influences the community. If your community works, your community influences the nation. If your nation works, your nation influences the world. If your world works, the ripple effect spreads throughout the cosmos. Remember that your influence begins with you and ripples outward. So be sure that your influence is both potent and wholesome. How do I know that this works? All growth spreads outward from a fertile and potent nucleus. You are a nucleus. So that relationship you were talking about, Kim, the relationship to yourself, is the most potent one. It is the one that shows up in every other relationship you will ever have. And if you're getting outcomes in any of those relationships you don't like, the first person to look at is yourself. <laughs> hmm. Maybe that's why I'm single. So would you say <laughs> if you had to pick a single skill that would apply to all the relationships in your life, would it be that relationship with yourself? Would it be, I don't know if that's a single skill really, but... It's Papa's favorite set of words, personal responsibility. How many times have you all heard that? I thought life? it was help me understand. No, no, no. That's, that's what like I said his, to you. That's his second favorite. <laughs> that's like his motto. Yeah. Personal well, responsibility are his, his two favorite words. And yeah, what did I want to understand? I wanted to understand how you thought you were going to get an effect out of the behavior you just engaged in. But again, so you ask an important question. I don't know that this is a skill as much as it is a point of mindfulness. Hmm. You show up in every relationship you have. If you want to affect those relationships, change your own behaviors, change your own thoughts, manage your own emotions, and your relationships will grow from there. Do we need to go over another skill? I, I don't know. Did that answer it? You we need to have that? actual skills. Well, I, I kind of like saying like, hey, step one, if you want to work on the relationships in your life, work on your relationship with yourself. Now, that's not a skill, but it's a good starting point, especially for this very first episode. I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of skills that's true. in the coming weeks. And I think starting with, hey, you need to work on your own relationship with yourself is a great starting point. I agree with you. Okay. I, so, so if we talk about that as a skill... All of the skills that we talk about in the rest of the podcasts will be related to you learning how to use them and using them effectively because you are the one you can change in any relationship. You can't change the other person. I know. <laughs> Kim has tried. <laughs> I have tried and I have realized over time. And again, this is why I'm single is I've come to that realization, that personal responsibility that they're doing a thing that I can't control. 
Mm-hmm. And that's okay. They get to do whatever they want, but that doesn't mean that they get to do that and me stay in relationship with them. Uh, and that goes across all of my relationships. Today, we covered the big categories of relationships, and we talked a little bit about working on your relationship with yourself as a key skill towards improving the relationships around you. In our next episode, we're going to be looking at a primary choice relationship, your spouse or significant other. Tune in next week for that discussion. Thanks so much for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you have questions or topics you'd like us to consider, or if you just want to say hey and let us know what you think, email us at questions at afpsych.com. We look forward to hearing from you. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. For more information, visit bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.